0: Welcome to Second Win, the podcast, where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am, and that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Hello, Second Wind. Here we are. Another fabulous day, another fabulous time to record. And today I am working with a woman named Stephanie Setrio on. And she is of and from Featherlight Living. And I found Stephanie through another wonderful podcast called Second Spring with Katie Codrington. And I'm hoping to have her on. She talks about menopause and all the interesting things that happen to us ladies. Anyway, I love the information I heard and I wanted to share all of it with you and Stephanie's information. I think we need and we need right now. And it's so funny that we talked probably, I don't know, four weeks ago, maybe longer. And it's like yesterday is when I had questions for you about where I'm at right now. And it's like, oh, and now I'm interviewing her. It's perfect things that come up in our lives. So anyway, in a nutshell, Stephanie reconnects us with freedom. She empowers women to live in a cyclical rhythm so they can have more space and time for a life filled with meaning, purpose, and belonging. And that right there is one of the reasons I do the podcast, Second Wind, Finding Purpose, Finding Meaning. So thank you so much for joining us today. All the way from the UK, thank you so much. So like everything else, you didn't just come upon this cyclical living and freedom for women and finding time and silence and all these things you have come upon. There was a moment that was the catalyst, you said, when we spoke earlier. And it's so interesting because she was, Stephanie was on a bunk bed and hadn't slept in a really long time. And I'll let her let you know how long that time is. But I think we can all relate in some way to lacking sleep many, many nights in a row. And she was able to get a full night's sleep for the first time. And it was a combination of where she was and what she was learning that made it happen. And that made the light bulb go off for you. So Stephanie, tell us about that time that you said, aha, there's something bigger here and I need to investigate.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Wendy. That's right. It was really that one moment, that period of time, when I I realized there was perhaps a way, a way to cope with, at the time, it was sleep. So I was actually on a yoga training in London, and I it was in a Buddhist center, and I had booked to stay there as well. So I was sleeping in the accommodation in the Buddhist center, and I was prepared for what would normally be a rough few nights sleep. Whenever I, I, at the time I was um, in insomnia and if I ever slept anywhere else, then my sleep would be even worse. And then the share room with four strangers and a in a bunk bed, I knew I'd be groomed. Mm. So I went in there accepting, I think accepting like, yes, my sleep will be bad. I had reached that point, I think, as well, completely accepting that I was someone who didn't sleep well. I thought, well, this is how I am. This is my life. And I just get by on a lot less sleep, which wasn't okay. But when you try a lot of things and nothing seems to work, then you just get on with it. And I had definitely got to that point where I was just finding a way to cope and manage. So I was on a yoga training, which was for pregnancy yoga. And my instructor began the day with something called yoga nidra. It's a type of meditation. And what's so wonderful about it is that when you're invited to lie down for this meditation, so there's no effort required, you don't have to sit up and I'd just arrived traveling from the train. I was already tired, and immediately were invited to lie down. And we did a few sessions of this throughout the day, and I'd never experienced yoga nidra before. And at that point, meditation was not part of my life. I had tried previously, a few years back, prior to that, at another Buddhist center to do regular meditation where you sit in silence. And I found it too challenging for my overactive, busy mind. And I didn't get it. I just thought that's not for me, you know. And so yoga is very different, and it's guided. Beautiful words. It's it's helping the brain to to really move out of its busy, overthinking analytical part, and to downregulate that part of the brain, so that you come into a place where the brain is just becoming a little bit more flexible. And I didn't know that was all happening at the time, of course. What did happen was I woke up the next morning after Thursday and I slept, you know, I slept through the night. I felt really well, you know, like ridiculously good. And I thought that was really fluky. And it was a couple of nights there and each night was the same. And I just thought, I realized, you know, there was something going on with the meditation. And I felt so, so rested, so at peace. I could see it and feel it in my face around my eye sockets. You know, when you're me you feel a lot of strain around the eye sockets my eyes are tired and I didn't have that anymore I felt very clear clear thinking so you know when you discover something that is as amazing as that you think you have to research and you start to get curious and so I I started to just listen to the recordings of yoga nidras, ones that were specially designed for sleep so I continued to listen once I returned home my sleep changed dramatically and then of course i i had to do the training you know it's like when you know something that's that powerful and that good and it's really effective you think right i need to share this with the world so that's what i did
0: oh i get it it's it's like on a different note it's like me having so much relief from lyme disease by doing the root cause protocol and getting off all my medicine and i'm not affiliated with it at all but i'm out there telling Oh, no, no, no. Try this. Try it. You try it. I'm just telling everyone about it because everyone should do it. And yeah, you you do. You get like so jazzed up about something because you want to ch- shit like kind of, I got this pot of gold here. There's plenty here, here, have some, have some, some for you, some for you, some for you, you know, and that is part of living in purpose is is serving others. So I'm really glad to the people who do and investigate, get curious. What's working? Why is it working? But you, I mean, we were talking about this. You don't just—I mean, the average person just doesn't go to a Buddhist retreat, or you. I mean, they sound great, but I would imagine the percentage of people that actually participate is low. Even though there's yoga studios everywhere, it's still not a huge. It's growing, but it's still not a huge percentage of the population that is figuring out that this is something really beneficial for our bodies so so stephanie let's dive back who are you and and what brought you eventually to coming or seeking out a retreat like that and heading down those paths
1: yeah that's a great question like go back and rewind the why behind me. well what took me there really at the time i would say i was i was also a therapist And I was specializing in working with women, conceiving, pregnancy, massage, that kind of thing. So, And again, I was constantly saying to them, you need to do some yoga. You need to move your body in pregnancy. So at this point, I guess my daughter must have been around four, five years old maybe. And so the point, how I got to being a therapist and how I got to wanting to teach yoga was when I became a mother. I would say actually everything began for me then. That was a catalyst. There was huge shifts becoming a mum. I think as a woman, we realise we have resources in us, we have creativity in us that perhaps we haven't tapped into before. And there's an aliveness there which maybe was dormant or just not not realised up until that time. And so at that up until that point, I had actually been working in catering. I had my own restaurant. I was working long hours. And when I had my daughter. That was, and I thought, I can't do that. I want to have a lot more time for her. And I want to also do something more meaningful with my time and with my life. And so I got very interested in aromatherapy in my pregnancy, which then took me into training once I had my daughter. So, beginning at the beginning, I would say, is actually just having a baby and wanting to really, it really changes your priorities. You really think, hang on a minute what's going on here? Is this sustainable? Is my life sustainable? Do I want this for my daughter? How would I want to be present for her? So I think it's something about once you train, I remember feeling very clearly once I became a therapist was so much of it was about living and breathing it as well. So I thought, well, this is a lifestyle. It's not just a job. You don't just open the door to your clients and radiate love and um, kindness and warmth and then shut the door and and go and drink two bottles of Pinot Grigio, you know? It's like we really need to embody this so that you are giving out and you're also I think it's about living and breathing from the inside and the outside. And it was that was probably a catalyst too was when you're serving others, you want to be authentic. It's about your lifestyle. So I mean at the time I was a tired mum, we had a small small child, had a toddler, but I knew that I wanted to actually increase and improve my own energy. I'm all about energy, Wendy, actually, I'd say yeah. as well. So much of this is about it really. fundamentally. But the beginning was becoming a mum. And then the work came after that. Like you start getting really discerning in your choices about what you want to do.
0: I have a quick question for you because you were a single mom
1: too. Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah. So that adds a whole new element. Like it's all on you. Even though my husband traveled all the time and I could say I was a single mom, I really, I wasn't really like a single, single mom. You know, it, was, it didn't all come down to me all the time. The buck didn't stop here. In other words, there's two things. One is, why did you decide to go into therapy from the restaurant business? Is it because, I mean, being in the restaurant business myself, I can see how you feel like a therapist sometimes when you're talking to people. However, that's well, one question. Why would you go into therapy when you have a toddler? And then the second question is, or maybe it's a, something that I came to when you were speaking is part of the serving when you're genuine and authentic as you're speaking is that while you're serving, you're also, your cup is, you're taking away from yourself to give to others, but somehow in that you're refilling yourself. And I think that's where the genuineness comes in. Is because you figured out that that's your thing. So it fills you while you give out. So I just, want, I just wanted to mention that because that just popped into my head while you were speaking. And I, if I let that thought sit there too long, it will disappear. So let's go. Why Why on earth did you decide to be a therapist?
1: Yeah, what's the connection between running mm-hmm. a restaurant and then being a, becoming a therapist? The doorway, the path, if you like. Well, I really got into looking up to myself and my health because actually my restaurant was in Bali in Indonesia and massage is part of the culture and so I'm the business was stressful enough as you can imagine running your own business in any country but massage was a regular part of my my life I would regularly go I mean you know like weekly for some kind of treatment I really appreciated downtime for me and I felt like a a new person every time I walked out to the spa and it was something that I knew about and knew how the benefit what the benefits were. So I think it's really from having spent time in a culture where it wasn't a treat. It wasn't something you do once a year for your birthday. It's something they believe, you know, you go and have a massage. If you're not feeling good, you go have a massage, you just go and do it. And so it became part of my life. And I think once you received it, you know how good it is. Then wanted to be able to do it for other people through the doorway of aromatherapy. I suppose then I was pregnant back in the UK and I got really into aromatherapy in pregnancy. I started to want to, you know, when you get pregnant, you just want to look after yourself. You start to think about all these things that you can do so that you can be well and healthy. And aromatherapy kind of was on my radar. I was already into holistic living, and once I had my daughter, Amelie, and thought, right, I really need to retrain here, it became, it was just clear to me that I'd like to study aromatherapy and massage, and just combine the two, the two things, and I, I didn't have a game plan, I must say. It wasn't like, I, I know I'm going to open a therapy room, I know I'm going to, you know, do all these things. I just followed what felt right at the time, and what I really enjoyed doing and even the training itself was very nurturing because you're with a group of women every month doing really lovely things with essential oils and getting a massage, you know. It was wonderful. That's all out., Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah, so that was, I think that's the entrance there into the collection, restaurant work, and then becoming a therapist. Finding
0: that baby, there's more to life than just me and what I'm doing at this moment. And what do I want this to look like for my my daughter? I think
1: you- so. Take this through. Oh, I just feel like we do start to care a lot more about ourselves and what our lives look like once we start to have to care for somebody else or another being. You suddenly realize, you know, everything you're doing, everything the way your life is, is a sponge for them. They're absorbing it all, and you start to relook at yourself. You think, Hang on a minute, you know, do I want to work all those hours? Do you know, how do I want my night, my days to look like? And because they're going to be part of that. So you, you really put it through a new lens.
0: Yes, 100 percent. Well said, Stephanie. So and all of us mothers can totally identify with that. So bring us through. So you're studying, you're getting your massages and aromatherapy is working. You're studying to be a therapist. What happens next? Where, where do we go with this? Because now you have your own business, you're doing really great things. So there's probably many, many layers here that happened for you.
1: Yeah, I think layers is the word there. Once you've begun one thing, you start to get interested in something else. And so I began to, I see actually It was around that time I started to realize my body was not strong enough after having a baby. And it was around when Emily was probably two or three or something like that. I got into Pilates first of all. I just wanted to be strong. I felt like I couldn't even hold myself up sitting at a table, you know, having friends around for dinner. I'd be slumping, you know, I was so tired. But also it was something around my, my core that collapsed. I just wanted to get strong again. So I think, again, it's motherhood really brought me to looking after myself more. And so it was Pilates and then from Pilates, so I, I got into yoga. And then once you start getting into yoga, you go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. And you try a little bit of this, and you try a little bit of that. There's so many different styles out there. There's so much, and I don't think I could even define why I knew some things were right for me and some things weren't. But I was particularly drawn to one teacher, a specific teacher who taught something very different. I just loved the way that she was talking about it, and, so, and she was teaching womb yoga so yoga for womb health and i was just you know what it's for me because if you think about it you know yoga was designed thousands of years ago by men for men's bodies
0: i did not know that was designed for men and men's bodies isn't that funny and only there's really the most of. i mean there might be a man or two my son-in-law is very good at yoga by the way it's crazy how limber he is and he does the thing and i'm like what are you doing you're like a football player stop!" Not... but there's not that many many men in it at all
1: yeah in the, the ratio yeah it had a balance totally right. it's quite interesting. but they started men what happened I, that doesn't mean make... why well, well i'm not sure and so t- i think women just um took it all on board and i think it it was blended from aerobics if you like and it's like another form of fitness so that's Women often come into it from that I want to be fit kind of perspective, and certainly that's how that was a doorway for me. When you start to do yoga, you realise there's a little bit bit more to it, and it's all about the breath and the being in the body. You become so much more present. And so, my teacher Uma, I was drawn to her as she was teaching it. She was talking about it in ways which was resonated with me because I have, at that point, tried a lot of different yoga, different styles, and some of them I thought were frankly a bit ridiculous for me. You know, I'm not into really strict stuff. I'm quite sweet spirited and I don't really like to have things, you know, everything so straight and perfect and, you know, you've got to have this strap and you've got to have all these props and it all felt a bit stressful sometimes, you know. It is when they start
0: something and you haven't figured out how to get the strap where it needs to be and then place it here, and you're just like, ah, wait for me. And Yeah, it's stressful. And that's not what that's about.
1: no. So room yoga is about circular movements, working with the woman's body, not doing particular movements as well that aren't suitable at certain times of the month and certain times of our lives, you know. So we have wombs, men do not. And there are things about our wombs that respond better to other t- t- and movements at a certain points, It kind of makes so much sense. And there's also, womb yoga is all about activating. We have a prana, a shakti, an energy, if you like, in our pelvic bowl, in our womb, whether you have a womb or it's been removed, your womb still, you know, you womb still got the energy there in a bit, all or the organs that were there. And so you can connect with that energy. And it's about a bit more like a coming home back into yourself when you start to practice something very really nourishing rather than something that's really thriving and demanding. So womb yoga is all about reining it in by about 50%. You know, you're not trying to advise, you're more, it's more of an internal process and being free and fluid in the body. Oh,
0: wow. That's, a, I, I would like to see, I would like to try that and mm-hmm. see where they offer that. That's so interesting. So that resonated with you and what makes it click over to where you now have to jump off the ship and go with that?
1: How does that work? What's next after the Picasso? I was saying is layers here, you know, we're like an un peeling away the layers. There's never one thing. And so Rim Yoga got me thinking about at this point, you know, I'm still working, I have my therapy practice, I'm specializing in women's health, working from women from with fertility issues to menstruation issues to pregnancy to postnatal to menopause. And so everything's integrated by this point, you know. And I get really curious about patterns. You know, I start to note patterns in my clients, patterns in myself as well, about um, our hill, about adrenal glands, about the nervous system, sleep. Sleep has always been like my, my main kind of interest. It's like, how do we get sleep? What's, and then once you get to sleep, you start to really enjoy it as well. And then, it's, then I'll talk a bit, a bit more about, perhaps in a moment, about the creativity you get to when you're rested and you get the sleep that you need. So the patterns, and I, I started to think about the whys as to what it is that's pushing us to do these things so that we have these issues and also in my life as well, but I mean, it's about the balance, you know, we are cyclical beings, especially as women and the technology that we work with these days, it allows us to do so much and get so much done, but we have cave women bodies, which simply can't cope with that. And so... I feel like that's where it gets interesting is like, what is it, the messaging that is pushing us and propelling us along when our b- bodies are screaming out for us to slow down and to rest?
0: Is that what you think it is, Stephanie? Do you think that all the little ailments we get as we get older and, and so many women have adrenal fatigue and don't even know it or weight gain out of nowhere and migraines and all these things would you say that's because of the push and pull of why do we keep doing this and our body's holding us back and the body just throws stuff
1: at us to make us stop yeah well the body will always resp- the body speak loudly and so i would say it's never just one thing but there will be something in there about the rest that you're not getting there'll be something in there about your relationship with your busyness with your to-do list and it's not just the one thing that's for sure but i feel like we're not allowing ourselves the time to pause to rest to replenish ourselves to top up our, our reservoir and then we we get sick and especially if you think you, you treat yourself like that in your 20s and then your 30s and you get into your 40s and your body's like hang on you know and then you're perimenopausal then you're going and, you're, and it's like, you really, that's the time, I think, when we really start to need to readdress the way, the rhythm of our lives, of our days, and the way that we want to live and what it is, how, we, how it is we want to spend our time. Yes, that's huge. And
0: that's why I'm talking to you. Because <laughs> we all need that. But you had been, as you had said, someone who could not sleep for,
1: would you say, years? Oh, sure, years. It was pre-daughter, because I worked in catering, working funny hours. Didn't for a long time realize that coffee was actually going to be keeping me up.
0: Oh, yeah, well, in our 20s, nothing can
1: affect us, duh. And so it was something about my relationship with caffeine, probably, as well. But also, yeah, the work I was doing, the lifestyle I was leading, working shift work, essentially, And then, then compounded by having a daughter and having sleepless nights. And when anyone who's become a new mom knows that you develop a different type of sleep. It's a very light, a very surface style of sleeping. You're kind of cruising along the top layers of sleep, but you're not, it's not a deep replenishing, restorative sleep. And so you may be resting, but you're not actually really sleeping deeply. And that's when you get exhausted. And it's hard to cope as well. So I think the motherhood, the early motherhood years certainly instilled in me a new way of sleeping. I, I literally learned a new way and, and adapted that uh, to be very adaptable as well. But it, I found it very hard then to get back into deeper sleep for years. And also then once you become an in, in insomniac or you have insomniac bouts, you start to really front it, you know, you go to bed. Wishing you going to sleep, willing yourself to sleep and worrying that you're not sleeping and thinking about all the things you've got to do when you wake up in the morning. And quite often, you know, the first thing you think about when you wake up is you haven't got enough, that you haven't had enough sleep. And the second thought will probably be, well, I haven't even got enough time today. I've got so much to do.
0: Yeah, negative, compounded, negative, negative, negative. Like you start off the day kind of beating yourself up for something that you couldn't control.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. Interesting. Not a good way to start the day. No, it's not. That was the whole time. I was aware that I was sleep deprived. And I and I think there was something along being a single mom as well, running my own business. I constantly felt like I didn't have enough. Right. So
0: you're cruising along and your your business is doing well and you are centered around women much like you, it sounds like. Trying to help women in the ways that helped you. And then you go to this Buddha, Buddhist retreat. Is that the next step? Yeah. So I'm
1: I'm a therapist. I'm getting into yoga for myself. I really, I want to train. And yes, it was the it was the training festival in in the pregnancy yoga that I first trained in. And I I think when you want to do a training or of any kind, you know, you go on Google. And you look at who's doing what. And my it was my teacher, Uma. And she had a YouTube video talking about why she was teaching this pregnancy yoga and what the course was. And he, I just resonated with her. I liked the things she was saying. I loved the fact it was in a Buddhist center in London. It ticked my boxes because I, at that point, had been living in Indonesia. You know, I have a spiritual life. And so I was like, yes, okay, I'm going to a Buddhist center. So yes, I think it takes certain time. To be drawn to go there and do that training. And like attracts like, you know, I just walked in and I felt like I'd arrived home. Yeah, it was lovely. She, you know, she makes it very comfortable for you, got the sheepskin rugs, lots of bolsters or cushions, and you just really looked after. And I think when you have a training like that, where you are shown how, you know, you can be looked after, you start to want to do that for other people too. So part of it was always, I was always seeking out nourishment then to myself, but also how can I nourish others?
0: And so what did that look like? How did that translate into your life and what you're doing now?
1: So how did that translate into <laughs> what I'm doing now? Yes, now I was yeah, looking at the patterns, looking at the whys. By this point, having the womb yoga training, trained in yoga nidra providing these spaces of rest and nourishment for women in workshops and classes and so on. And I feel like, yes, it's wonderful to do that work and I absolutely love it, but I feel like I wanted there to be more of a connection for women as to understanding their own wives as well, providing place to understand how they can create life balance and what the blocks are to that and why, why are we rushing so much and why are we doing so much? So. That took me then to train as a life coach to enhance the work I do with women. Oh, good. Yeah, to add
0: that extra element because, yeah, just helping people with the massage and the yoga, that's a huge piece of it, but you're still missing the the mindset
1: and you saw that you to integrate the two. That's right. It's actually making the mental shifts. That's where I get, that's, I think when you see that's when you get the most when you see women make the most change it's kind of exciting because you see that dark night of awareness they're like okay i don't have to live like this and ah you know it's a wonderful thing to see a bunch of women looking so rested and peaceful but also galvanized change the way they want to live their lives and want to start to bring in more rest and more more nourishing things for themselves they're not constantly giving up to everybody else but also just thinking about well hang on how can I how can I create a lifestyle that's not just about doing something once in a moon? but how can I create a lifestyle which is sustainable why am I doing all these things and quite often you know working with things like people pleasing and working with just perfectionism really gets in the way as well just trying to be perfect in everything and doing you know getting all the accolades and, and all that Oh, I, I mentioned it to you before, Wendy, and um, the book of The Heroine's Journey. She talks about this brilliantly about uh, how, you know, we as women, we're going through this journey and we get to the, you know, we get as far as we think we can and we got all the accolades and the successes and then we burnt out. And we're like, well, hang on a minute. You know, is this really what I want to do? And is this how I want to live? But it's almost like we need to go through that process to realize it. And it's that's when the body's screaming out. And then that change can happen. But I think to make those changes, there there needs to be a change of awareness, you know, of really what is it that I want to be doing with my time. My and often it's about creativity as well. So it's really how how's creativity showing up for me in my life? And so I do tend to work with a lot of women who are quite creative and just want to actually bring more of it in and rather than maybe they do then four days a week and they've got another day for something themselves. And, you know, it's all about that kind of that kind of balance, really. Yeah, let's discuss that a little
0: bit because, you know, a lot of women are still unbalanced in their second wind or 40 plus and up. It's just, it, and we don't re- maybe realize it, it just looks different. We may not be the taxi cab taking the kids from grabbing this one from school and bringing it to this practice and going home and grabbing this kid and bringing it here and and just doing all the stuff and everybody's laundry and the football, you know, all the stinky equipment and stuff from your kids, soccer or whatever they're doing or going to the tournaments. Like it starts to look different, but it's still, if we aren't careful, it can still be ridiculously busy and we can still get lost in it. Where you're sitting there going, wow, I really, I really wanted to say, maybe consider going to an art class or painting today, but something always gets in the way. So
1: how do you help how do you help women? What does that look like? Okay. Well, there's a few things here. What I find quite interesting is that we have to start at the top of the layers, you know, the top of quite often it's a practical stuff, you know, okay, so let's get strategic. So, if there isn't a menstrual cycle, then work with a lunar cycle. As I mentioned before, you know, with cyclical beings, we need to have a period of time in the month when we do a bit less. And so, what I love to help women to do, it feels a bit radical, but is to introduce the idea of bringing like the four seasons into your month so that you have a period of time when you're more active, you have a period of time when you're more reflective. You have a period of time when you're resting and then you have a period of time of when you're just planning something. So what we tend to do is you spend the entire month and our, every day in a like a high summer state of productivity and striving. So I use the seasons and the moon as a guide to help with an anchor because there's something that's quite tangible as well. We can all relate to that as to how to bring in that causes the rest, but also it's also, I think the reflection is so important actually to sit down and think, well, how has this month been for me? What do I want to do next? What, what going to be helpful? So some, so it is about strategic strategy, but it's also a little bit about reflection mm-hmm. as well. So you keep that whole cyclical
0: idea or theme while you're helping women. Yeah. So and you mentioned the menstrual cycle. So what if you have been
1: through menopause? You're still exactly so. Most women I've been working with will be working with the lunar cycles. So working with the cycles of the moon. So in each month we'll have a full moon and we'll have a new moon. The new moon is when it's the dark moon. And like thousands of hundreds of years ago, we would women would have gathered together around the new moon when there wasn't any light, and they would have all been sinking together, they would have all been bleeding together. And it's about that same kind of like, okay, this is the period when I would do less. And so using the moon as a guide really helps women, especially menopausal women, who have lost their natural rhythm, no matter what their relationship was like with their menstrual cycle, once it's gone, you have lost a guide. this internal compass telling you, how to be and what to do, whether you like this or what. And so what's next once you that cycle? How are you going to, otherwise it's all out. You know, there is no, we are a bit sort of rudderless as well. We're all at sea. We're just being tossed around, you know, here and there and just constantly just, we need to have the anchors and the moon provides that for us in a very beautiful way that actually makes a lot of sense as well.
0: Well, that's, you tie that in with astrology and all of this stuff that I've been bringing to the podcast for almost two years now. And this like kind of makes it all make sense. It just, I just felt really like grounded when you said that, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So what do you do? How does that work? Like, bring me through like a typical, do you have, maybe do you have a scenario or a, a case that you worked with, like a lady that you could say she came to you and, This, this is what was going on. And these are the prescriptions you gave her the steps to follow. And then this is where she is now. Do you have anything like?
1: Yeah. I've worked with individual women. I do group work as well. I, you know, moon meditations and the membership. So I do cyclical workshops in there, but to work with one-to-one. So for example, I worked with a lady who was very overwhelmed. She was constantly on the, on the back foot, you know, she had a huge backlog of stuff, just not finished that project. She had her own business and she would get to the end of the week and be exhausted and not have the time and the energy, the things she wants to do and to do the family stuff. And so we just, I just asked her you know, we just go through the week. What, what's she doing? How is she spending her days? And ultimately we got underneath, you know, her relationship with, Why she felt she must be doing more. And some of it is about self study as well. And I seem to work with women who do a lot of courses and feel like they need to do more trainings and have more certificates. And actually, quite often, they know all this stuff already. They don't need to have anything to validate them. So sometimes I'm working with things like what's underneath all that is self worth. It's like the drivers underneath what pushing that behavior. That's where it gets really interesting. And that's when you do get the shifts is when women realize why they're doing the things they're doing. Otherwise, they're trapped in a constant, hamster way of doing and producing, which are very good at doing. And I have to work with this myself too. And so with this particular lady, it was then, okay, we look at what everything's going on. And then we start to, to schedule in, literally schedule in less. And so work out, what I love to work out is people's energy as well in the day. So we all have a rhythm of energy throughout the day. There'll be peaks and there'll be troughs. And typically, we'll have more energy in the morning. And so again, it's about getting strategic with how we use our time. So if you're self-employed, it's like you've got a certain kind of brain energy in perhaps it might be the morning that's best to use for all of your creative projects or your ideas. And then maybe it's like emails or the stuff that doesn't take quite so much from you that can wait till later. Otherwise, what we're doing is we're giving all of our best self to other people's agendas in some parts of the day. And actually that's when we need to put that focus into the stuff that's really meaningful to us. So it's about chunking things into different times of the day. So chunking time to do the email correspondence, chunking time to do the marketing, administration but also what's your, when's your most creative time? Because that's the golden time, oh, you know, no. you don't want to be giving that old. So it was really about, you know, she realized then she would start to take herself off for a half an hour walk with the dog in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And what often comes out as a block is that, well, I don't have time for that. What she found was by giving herself the restful pauses throughout the day, she actually was getting more done, but. She was not as exhausted, and it was all put into a, a rhythm of the day, which felt so much easier. Now we're then slogging it out mindlessly throughout the day, and arriving at the end of the day just too tired to even speak. And so, it's really about being okay. And this is what I find is the, the interesting work is being okay with actually doing less, so that you can still be productive, but you can still achieve more. And I think we tell ourselves we have to keep on going when actually we don't.
0: That's huge because you're not actually saying, because there may be women who are sitting there going, oh, well, these are my, the things I do are important. I am not going to be able to get rid of anything that's on my plate. And you're not necessarily saying you need to get rid of them. You're saying they just need to restructure them and put them in different places so that maybe... Feel exhausted when you sit down at this particular time and you're not like jamming stuff into a calendar and showing exhausted.
1: Absolutely. There was something around the actual structure of the day, but also realizing that there was excess stuff that just wasn't necessarily, you know, she didn't even need to do it. That there was a little bit of like asking for help. Quite, quite often we want to do it all and don't delegate or we don't delegate enough. And so actually she didn't need to do all the things she was doing. There was something in there as well, around her own sense of self-worth as well, with, well, she's still valued if she doesn't do all those things. It doesn't make her less of a person if she asks for help and asks someone else to do something. That's very interesting too. So I get kind of a bit into the nitty gritty as to why there is was so much on the list in the first place. And sure, there are some things that that need to be done, but does it all need to be done now as well? Because sometimes we're just trying to fit in too much to one day and actually it doesn't all have to happen right now in this moment or in this day. And when we wake up in the morning, we quite often think of all the things we need to do and we put that pressure on ourselves because we feel like they will need to happen instantly when actually... They don't, they don't, they can happen later in the month or even next month. So it's about allocating stuff to different parts of the year, even. And you help people so figure out how to set that up? Yeah. We, we go through, it's a bit strategic and once they get a rhythm, like blueprint for it, then it's, it's, it's quite obvious as well, but I think what's interesting is when they, certain things start to creep back in and why that might be. So yeah. Oh, I have a question.
0: I have a question. So is everybody's rhythm, I mean, I don't know if this is a silly question, but is it easy to figure out somebody's energy and rhythm or is there a pattern that we all should be following? I know you go by the seasons, but do we all fit into the seasons the same or how does that work?
1: We all have our own natural rhythm and I do see patterns that have similarities with most women. Some will, you know, some will say that they get like a second wind, but they get a second wind maybe later in the day at around 4 or 5 p.m. But that's not the same for all. So, but then I think that also will fall into like what your diet is, what your exercise regime is. So I do, we do go into exercise as well. Like there's different types of exercise, which are better to do at different times of the day, rather than, you know, you wouldn't do something high high impact and high cardio like 9pm at night if you're trying to work with sleep you want to be doing more restful practices restorative yogas and yin or something like that and I, I think working with women who are striving as well they're very much used to doing everything to the max you know having the long to do mm-hmm. list and do that they tend to do the hard high impact sports and they don't really make the associations that actually there needs to be a change in that so the body can cope. Body needs to be moved in many different ways anyway. And I feel as well, it, it, if you think about the, the rhythm of the day, some things will naturally feel better at different times of the day than others. And you only really get that awareness once you are really present with yourself, once you start to really get back in tune with your natural rhythm what feels right for, for you and your day. But yes, I would say essentially we do all have a four seasons in a day. And it's- Four seasons in a day? No, no, no. Four seasons in a day, Wendy. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Where would your, okay, because you can probably tell me, but where, where would you say your summertime is in your day? Okay, so this is interesting because okay. I'm all over the
0: freaking place. Like, I'm like, bing, 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 bing. Oh, shiny object over here. Oh, I have to do this over here. Oh, my daughter just called me. She wants me to babysit. Oh, I have to take this one over to a softball game. Oh, my dogs. Oh, I have to go feed the farm animals every day at this, around the same time. Like, it's just like, I'm kind of like just dabbing in the dark. I don't know how other many other people are doing it. And the only thing is constant is what's in my calendar for my podcast. And that's all over the place, right? So some people can't record, you know, in the morning. They can only record in the afternoon. Some people can only record in the morning. Or there's a phone call and it's somebody works till 5.30. So I have to do the pre-call with them when they get off work. That kind of thing. And that's kind of, so that's very random when I do that. And then it's kind of like I take everything else random in my world and shove it in all the empty spaces. So I don't know. I don't know. I I love my mornings and I love, I don't necessarily like to exercise in the morning and I know you're supposed to, but I really just like, like chilling in the woods with my dogs after I fill, fill everybody's buckets up in the barn. And then we walk down these woods where we have like this little bridge and I just sit there and just kind of like take in the day. And then I come back up to the house and get a cup of coffee or whatever. And it's just, I just take time. And then I'm much more motivated like the two o'clock time to go for a swim or go for a run or go go do something. And then around four or five o'clock, maybe I get tired, but then I'm like, oh, I've got so much to do still. So I don't know. My seasons are not good seasons right now, probably.
1: It sounds like you spend a lot of time in the summer, summertime. When you think about the summertime, that's when we would be the most productive. The autumn time is that's when we start to let go, reflect. The Winter time is when we rest, for me do less, do more restful things. And then the spring time is when we plan. So the little bit of planning, the energy is rising up. So it sounds to me like there's quite a lot of summer there, but also it was quite, I heard quite a lot of autumn, reflective, you know, I like the time you have for yourself in the morning. That sounds really nice. It's quite nice.
0: Right? But then I don't get anything done. I'm not being productive. And that's hard to shift from when you've always like gotten up and gotten kids to school or gotten to your job or you know what I mean? And then now you're just sitting there and you're like
1: Yeah. So what in praying is that like what is this you don't do that and have to do the school run anymore, but you're still in that kind of pattern of I need to be doing something. And it's learned behavior as well. We're conditioned as parents, you know, into in this constant kind of boom, boom, boom. And we then, even with the children don't need us anymore, we still find our ways to, to create busyness for ourselves with something else. You feel guilty for just sitting.
0: Yeah. While my husband's getting ready yeah. to go to work, and I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> I just, I feel guilty. And I wonder how many women feel that way.
1: Yeah. I love, talking about guilt and I'm fascinated with it and our relationship with guilt. And I do feel like there is something about having to give ourselves permission to do less, to to take time out as well. As recently on I took myself off for a, a one week retreat for myself in Cornwall. And I I still get the guilt, you know, I know I need it and I know I'm going to love it. But it's all that for me, it's a run up to it. I experience guilt in my thinking and I feel like I should be doing X, this work, this for that person, this for that person. And even though I've sorted everything out, work's been sorted, family's been sorted, everything's been cared, taken care of, but it's not until I'm on the train or left the house where I actually start to feel okay, but it's the pre, you know, it's the, that's why we very often don't do these things because the guilt gets in the way. It's stopping us from actually taking the time out for ourselves or having doing a little bit less in the day sitting down and reading a book i mean that should be okay right but you know the idea of sitting down and reading a book for a lot of women for an hour of the day would be nuts you no know, they would never it's that question
0: what did i do today when my husband what did you do today yeah yeah exactly and you want to be able to you want to be able to go, well, I did this and then I did this and I didn't. I don't know why we think that we have to. How does that make us a better person?
1: Mm, well, yeah, we were. How does that? Why? Well, we were busy. But somehow. Yeah. got that. Yeah, we've been conditioned into thinking that busy is, is actually a really good thing. And if you, anyone asks you, you know, how are you? Are you busy? And if you were to say no, then somehow that would be seen as that You know that you're not busy. Like, oh dear, you know what's what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Mil? Yeah, do you mean how to Are you, you sick? Yeah, I, I love that one as well. I, I work with that one a lot myself because for years I used to love saying I was busy. I love being busy. I was always like, "Yep, I'm super busy. I've got lots of clients. So I'm doing all these things," and you know, I thrived on it. And somebody asked me once. I remember they said, "What are you most scared of?" And I was like, I'm not achieving. I'm really scared of doing well. And I don't know where that had come from, but when I really reflected on it, I think that was an undercurrent of pushing a lot of my busyness was actually I wanted to achieve. And so I, you know, I think there's something in there about that too. There's a whole load of stuff, you know, it's never just one thing. But once you start to unpick it, what happens is that you realize you don't need to do all this stuff. it's really really freeing and like you said at the beginning when you know i empower women to to connect to freedom and it's that that's the freedom that i'm talking about is that freedom of not having to be anywhere or do all those things and actually the freedom to to be who you are and not have to live a way of life that everyone else is expecting you to
0: so interesting that we've gone this direction because i was asked by my brother who is my sister now Corey, who's been on the podcast well what's your end game so i did a little ig about that the other day about i don't know what my end game is i guess i need to know what my end game is i don't know how to figure that out and is the pressure of having an end game getting in the way of us living Or do we need an end game to find our purpose? Do you know what I mean? I can't figure it out. Everything I listen to, you know, we just need to be, or the different people I speak to, do we just need to be happy within ourselves and that's the end game because we're fulfilling our own feelings of worth and then giving that energy out to others because we have so much of it and we're able to help others? Or do we have to have some kind of here I reach this. I have to reach this in order to do that. What do you think about that?
1: That's a great thing to ponder on. And I feel like quite often there's going to be a balance here. And I do though mm-hmm. with questions, it can be a bit of a it, it depends on the answer. But I would say it's helpful to have an end game. But where is it when there's too much of an end game where we're constantly planning and constantly thinking, okay, I then I need to do this and then I'll do that? And actually. Before we hit know it, we're, we're actually pushing ourselves a bit too fast forward again and not being like here and now in the present. And that's when we Most insights sometimes is actually when we're not doing and when we're not trying to create something. We're not thinking about the end game. We're just coming back from to ourselves. It's really, I think, to not have an end game would be a big deal for a lot of women as well because they spend so much of their time with the goals. And that's quite masculine, if you think about it. Feminine is quite circular. You know, we, we kind of just go around in a circle of, of life and reflection. But to have an end game, it's a goal orientated. And when we get a bit too masculine, we come away from our femininity. And so I would just question how much am I thinking about having an end game? And does it really does matter? Does it really matter?
0: Does it matter if you can't be present and you can't be fluid and you can't be there when you need to be there? Yeah. What's the worst that's going to happen? Right. Well, I guess we all don't want to leave this earth without figuring it out, I guess. Interesting. And also, you are a proponent of, of teaching people how to be silent. And silence is a big part of being present and also figuring Pondering these, these issues and finding your way in them or
1: through them. And how do you teach people silence or how to be silent? The way that I, I work with it is creating, is taking people away outside of their everyday experience. And so this is the sort of work i do on the retreats and the workshops. And we will just have pockets of silence rather than full days of silence. Although there are silent retreats, what I like to offer is half an hour, an hour of silence, and just so that we get to be okay with not having to speak. Quite often when we're in community or when we're together with other people, there is that, that sense of making conversation. And sometimes you really want to talk about something or you're just being polite, you know, and actually sometimes it's quite funny. And so being in silence is really when you're being with your thoughts and being with yourself And noticing, and that's when you start to notice what direction your thoughts are going. You know, we'll go in the future, we'll start to plan things and we'll go to the past and we'll maybe try and fix something or ruminate on something. But it's only really when we come into silence and stillness, and stillness especially, is when we actually start to remember who we are. and Remember really, really what's important. So I think it's about discernment as well start to sort of sit through They're all the rubbish that's there because there's a lot going on in our minds you know and science to be in silence is a powerful thing i don't think we need to do it for days on end to have these realizations i feel like that's where i like to work with women is offered them ways of integrating this into their lives so it's doable so it's not like you need to come on a retreat and and just do it then and that's the only time but it's actually how can you live like this? How can this part of the day, within our cycle, right? Our cycle, yeah, exactly. It's the transitions of the days and the month. So it's about really noticing pauses and bringing them in. Yes, did I answer your question?
0: That's good. I'm I'm throwing really wacky stuff at you, and you're doing a great job. It's <laughs> very and you, so you help people kind of balance the seasons out in their, in their days and organize that and allow them to, to maybe drop into the seat of their soul a little bit, figure out who they are.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of reflect, reflective work that I like to do. So it tends to be a lot of journaling. When you are writing, it's like you're really communicating with yourself. It's like you're whispering to yourself and listening at the same time. And so that's when you start to make sense of your thought. So I do do a lot of the reflective journaling work together with the coaching. It's like a two pronged. Well, actually, we also do some meditation as well. So I, anyone who works with me, they do a bit of meditation too. They get recordings to listen to. So some of it is a little bit like rewiring the brain, a bit different ways of thinking about things and different ways of doing as well. Well, I'm going to sign up because although I love
0: summer and summer is my favorite time of year. Perhaps they shouldn't be in summer, in the fall, and the winter, and the spring. So how do people who are obviously going to want to work with you right now, I think we all need a little bit of uh, adjustment and realization of our cycles and how we should flow throughout our days and our months. How do people find How do they work with you?
1: Well, I offer a few kind of avenues to work with women. So either it's privately my one-to-one coaching program or I have a membership. So um, it's group work and through the group work, we, if that's all online as well. And then there's the retreats and the workshops. So that's more intensive work. And we work together perhaps for a couple of days. I think that's when I see the greatest transformation in women is, is from the retreats in particular. Yeah. I think the membership is really nice if you just want to come in and taste a little bit and see, and I think there's so much of it as well as about community, about who you surround yourself with. Because if you're trying to make big lifestyle changes, it doesn't really work if you don't surround yourself with different people, if you carry on in the same kind of ways of doing and people you hang out with. There's a quote, you know, I've heard it said by many people, like, show me five of your friends and I'll tell you exactly who you are. And look at who your five friends are. Look at kind of who you, who's draining you, who's your radiator. And the point with the membership is that you are surrounded by people who are all there to do the work together, to live, live like that. So it's like having that shared purpose. Because otherwise we get drawn society and culture constantly takes us away from here. it's dragging us into this direction and that direction. Like you were saying earlier, Wendy, you know, we're buffeted in the wind by this stuff. And so it's like the anchoring that we need to come back down into the heart. So the membership, the private coaching and the retreat. Yes, that's the best way to work with me. And how and where is that? Do we find that where? All right. So that's on, you'll find it on my website, www.featherlightliving.com. So it's Featherlight, as in light, as in L-I-G-H-T. Featherlightliving.com. It's a great little website.
0: And yeah, I'm going to talk to you more when we end the recording and see how you can help me. And then maybe we'll revisit after I've been saved from myself.
1: Oh, I wouldn't that would be really cool to have a bit of a, yeah, like really what happened? Did this work? I didn't know why I was a before.
0: I mean, I, I loved everything you said, but I'm obviously going to be a before and after. At point, especially now, after these questions have been arising and then the, what have you done today? Has been happening. And the the needs of my daughter with her newborn and two more on the way. And then wow. a, a grandchild who's, well, soon will be a real grandchild, but she's nine and like, can you help us? You know, can you take her to softball? And I'm like, bouncing around in a, and a bow, oh, I've got a recording, you know, like I got it. Because it's all about purposeful living and being able to sit in your soul. Because in the end, that's all that's going to matter.
1: Yeah. When you look back what what is it that you want to see? And where are you at in your soul
0: that will take you out of your body someday, somehow? Yeah. Oh, there's so much stuff. Okay. Well, gosh, Stephanie, thank you so much. I could talk to you forever. You are a gem and obviously you are doing what you need to be doing to fill your purpose in helping us all figure out this cyclical living and finding silence and, and being in the seat of our souls and where we need to be. And, and thank you for sharing your story and and
1: you sleep well now, I'm assuming. I do. I do sleep well. I have tools as well because my mind is busy. It doesn't, I wouldn't say my mind is now this really peaceful Zen place, but I know how to quieten it. And so I would also like to add that it's a, it's a constant inner work. The Inner work is never done. You don't do one thing and think, right, okay, that's totally sorted. I'm all set now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a way of being. It's a lifestyle thing. So certainly it's having tools and using it. Yeah. Yeah, it's
0: like eating healthy one day isn't going to make you healthy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a perfectly good analogy. Yeah, just because you had a carrot yesterday doesn't make you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Stephanie. I've had a blast chatting with you. I'm really excited to work with you, and I just hope everyone's gotten as much out of this as I have. Thank you so much, Benzie. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.